Welcome to Beliefs of the Heart Weekly Reflection. I'm Sam Williamson, and today we're discussing The Pimps and the Prostitutes Are Closer to Heaven Than We Are. Immanuel Kant was arguably the leading architect of the Enlightenment. He was raised in a pietistic family that embraced devotion to God, scripture, and prayer, but he succumbed to the modern-day thinking of his day, and he eventually adopted their deist view of the world that God set the world spinning like a top, and he sat back to watch the show. While Kant believed in a kind of divinity, he rejected any divine intervention in this world. He refused to believe in the healing miracles of Jesus, and he laughed at the supernatural birth, resurrection, and promise of return. Kant also despised any idea of miraculous inner birth. He argued that it is our external good works that shape us, rather than any action by the Holy Spirit to regenerate and purify us. But Kant reserved his greatest contempt for the idea of salvation by vicarious atonement, that is, Jesus substituting himself for us. Kant said it would be immoral for Jesus to bear our sins on the cross. Jesus was an example only, and in no way was he a savior who paid our debts. Kant believed that the very idea of atonement was, quote, morally abhorrent to rational thinking, end of quote. The sin of self-deceit. Kant hated the idea of God paying for our sins because Kant thought he himself was a pretty good guy. Besides, everyone should stand on their own two feet. Oh, maybe God can forgive the tiniest of sins. It might just be fine to pardon Mother Teresa for that lie she told back in 1967. But Kant would never let God atone for a repentant murderer, adulterer, or a Ted Bundy. Which means, along with Kant's many other great faults, he was guilty of the sin of self-deceit. Something in the human heart refuses to admit the evils that lurk therein. We see the sins of others, how they oppress or cheat or exaggerate, but we always have an excuse for ourselves. When others lie, they are liars. When we shade the truth, well, it's complicated. Self-deceit is not the greatest sin we commit, but it is the reason we commit our greatest sins. Ever since the fall, we cover our failings with excuses. Cain killed Abel, but excuses himself with the rhetoric of, Am I my brother's keeper? David committed adultery and murder, and like many leaders, he thought, Nobody understands the burdens I carry in leading this country. Pilate washes his hands of sin even as he orders the lynching of an innocent man. The modern world, ever since Adam, and certainly since Kant, refuses to acknowledge any serious wrong inside. We are desperate to feel good about ourselves, so we claw for self-assurance. We reject all the passages that point out the deceitful or sick nature of our inner life. And who wouldn't want the gift of salvation? When Jesus addressed the moral leaders of Israel, he said, the pimps and prostitutes will enter the kingdom before you. It's not that the prostitutes live a better life and notice they are only closer to the kingdom they haven't yet entered. But what quality do they have that the moral purists like Kant don't? How can pimps and prostitutes be closer? What is it that Jesus is praising? The only difference between the prostitutes and Pharisees is that the prostitutes know they need help. A drowning person is frantic and reckless and aware. 
If you've ever been close to it, you know that sense of frenzy. If Kant had felt the hundred-pound barbells of his sins tied to his feet as he dog-paddled in ten feet of water, he'd have accepted a savior without a single moral qualm. Kant rejected salvation because his conscience was seared and it denied he was drowning. In our blundering attempts to hide our faults, we look to counterfeit self-confidence to carry us. A fabricated certainty of self-purpose, a fictional conviction of self-significance. We look inside to self-esteem, self-reliance, self-love, and even self-talk. But the greatest assurance of our hearts comes from without. It is injected in us by knowing, by knowing, by knowing a God who delights to forgive because of his love. It is not God's merciful salvation that's immoral, but the self-deceiving arrogance to reject it. It's not only wrong, but stupid to deny when we are drowning. I wrote this article after I heard a sermon on the Good Samaritan. And, you know, the Good Samaritan is a fabulous parable. And the thing that bothered me about the sermon is the pastor basically said, let's go out and be like that good Samaritan. Let's just love like he loved. Let's coexist. Let's help our neighbor. Let's even be willing to take a risk to do it. Let's bring him to the hotel. Let's give the hotel proprietor some money. And, you know, it just wasn't very, it just wasn't very convincing, convicting, motivating, any of those things. And the reason is, is the guy who gave the sermon completely missed the point. I mean, since the beginning, everyone has seen the Good Samaritan to be a parable about Jesus. Jesus is the Good Samaritan who comes for those who are his enemies and actually risks his own life to help them. We are not the one sitting on the horse being the Good Samaritan. We are the one lying at the side of the road in the gutter basically dying, about to die, about to take our last breath, and our enemy comes and lovingly saves and cares us for us. And what what moved me about the sermon wasn't, you know, let's go out and be good, because I, I, you know, I want to live better. The thing that moved me was the, the pastor's utter radical failure, not just a reluctance, but the failure to talk about the sin that we're living in, the self-denying, denial we have of our own sin, and, and the fact that we're dying in our self-inflicted self-denial and self-deceit. Look at, I, I know sin is not a fun thing to talk about. I don't want to talk about it right here. I, but to look at the, sermon, the, the, the Good Samaritan parable and say, we are that Good Samaritan, let's just do it better, utterly misses the point of Jesus' sermon. Jesus' parable is saying, if we don't accept that we're dying, we're never going to get help. But that interpretation has always been, there, there's always been a temptation in Christian circles to be a moralist. I, I don't know that it was ever as clearly articulated, though, until Kant, who Kant comes along and his reasoning gives him a semi-logical underpinning that is that has really plagued Western society to this day. Kant focuses on doing good, but a huge part of doing good is admitting our faults, admitting our weakness, admitting our sinfulness. Kant said, yeah, part of it is admitting our faults, but mostly we redeem ourselves by good works. Kant hated the idea of an inner nature 
that could be corrupted or that was sick or that was dying or mostly he was he 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 was uh, he was repulsed at the idea of an inner nature that was beyond our own ability to heal our heal ourselves he refused to admit that he himself and you and me let's be honest we're lying in a gutter dying and he just said i'll clean up my act and then god will be obligated it's the utter self-deceit of a conscience it's the other self-deceit of a seared conscience. You know, there's been famous quotes about the gospel. One person said, God created the world out of emptiness. And as long as we are empty, he can make something out of us. Now, you notice the humility that this requires. As long as we are empty, he can make something out of us. Kant, and Kant has really influenced this Western world to say, we are good. We are good. And as long as we do good, God is obligated. But this other passage says, as long as we are empty, God will do something. It takes humility. Tim Keller is famous for a quote he has about the gospel that he says over and over and over again. He says, the gospel is this. We are more wicked than we dare admit, and we're more loved than we dare dream at the same time. And his point is to say, when we admit our love, when we admit his love, when we rest in his love, then we're willing to admit our wickedness. And the more we admit our wickedness, we say, oh my goodness, I understand when he loved me when I did something good. I understand when he loved me when I you know, helped my neighbor and mowed the lawn and tithed more. But when he loved me when I didn't do those things, when he loved me when I thought those bad thoughts about my spouse or my friend or my colleague, when, I, when he loved me when I neglected them. How much is this love? It's beyond, it's beyond my expectation. So in a, that's why Keller likes to say they're at the same time. The more we understand his love, the more we can understand how wicked we really are. But the more we understand that wickedness, the more we can say, oh my goodness, but he really loves me. And then our confidence is in his love, not our greatness. You know, there's a time where the woman of the street, which is the times prostitute, and Pharisee Simon, Pharisee Simon, Simon and Simon has invited Jesus to a dinner. The woman of the street comes and washes Jesus' feet. And Pharisees, the Pharisee Simon is just repulsed at this. And he says, if Jesus knew what kind of woman he, she was, he'd leave her alone. And Jesus tells the parable. He says, look, it, one person was forgiven 500 denarii, another only 50. Who will love the forgiver more? And of course, Simon says, well, the one who was forgiven the most. Jesus' point is to say, if we want to grow in our love of God, we don't do it by self-energy, self-talk, self-goodness. We do it by saying, look at how much he's forgiven me. If we want to, if we want to love God more, we can strip ourselves of self-deceit and just embrace his love. Now, a couple things about this passage. In Scripture, the prostitutes weren't what we call sex slaves today, trafficked sex slaves. In fact, in Scripture, sex, trafficked sex slaves were called slaves. They weren't called prostitutes. So, you know, we have to get outside of our mind the sex trafficking. I am not talking about those poor 12-year-old girls who have been kidnapped. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are willing to use their body just to make money. And sometimes at the great expense of families. Um, and secondly, the passage actually doesn't say pimps. It says tax collectors. But I, I put in pimps because we envision IRS agents today when we think of tax collectors. And, you know, we don't like the IRS agents. But in Jesus' day, when tax collectors were mentioned, they were the most despised. They were despised even more than the Romans 
Because at least the Romans were being loyal to their own countries, but the tax collectors were doing great evil to fellow Jews purely for personal profit. They were just as despicable as pimps. But the thing that amazed me, I normally have a comment of people that I just, whose comments I really love, but I got two different comments this time that just astounded me. One was somebody said, yes, Jesus will heal the, forgive the prostitutes, yes, but the pimps, those that exploit others for their own gain, they deserve hell. Well, you know, this comment, I'm, I'm saying, the point is we all deserve hell. Are we willing to admit that we're closer to the pimps and prostitutes? And if we're not then you can see that we have adopted Immanuel Kant's moralism, his self-praise. And then the worst comment that I got was from a pastor, and this is on Reddit. This is a pastor who said he wants to say a bunch of things, but he can't say it under his true name because he doesn't want his parishioners to know what he really thinks. So he said, this is a quote, he said, believe and follow the writings of this jerk. By the way, this jerk is me. And you'll end up in hell. He said, it takes a particularly vile human to be a pimp. They are absolutely disgusting people. Utterly, absolutely, utterly disgusting people. That's his quote. Now listen, I hope you don't, I don't, I hope you don't go to hell and I hope that I'm not as much of a jerk. I want to say, let's all admit that there are jerkishnesses in us. There, there are ways that we exploit people for our personal gain. And Jesus is saying, if you come to me, if you admit that, if you admit that, then you can know my great love. You can know my healing love. I I think Jesus, when he's saying this to the Pharisees and he says the pimps and prostitutes are closer to heaven, he's saying they are willing to admit their weakness. They, They don't say that they're great. They never stand on their own pomposity. They never stand on their own grandeur. They don't stand on their goodness. They know their weakness. I think as long as we can know our weakness, as long as that one person said, um, God created the world out of emptiness. And as long as we are empty, he can make something out of us. I think as long as we admit our emptiness, God can do great things through us. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our website, beliefsoftheheart.com, for more articles, books, videos, podcasts, and courses, all designed to foster intimate theology, deepening a real relationship with the real God who is there. See you next week.